good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. So let me just preface this podcast by saying it's likely going to be a shorter one. Unfortunately, on Wednesday, Billy wasn't feeling particularly well. She took a COVID test and she's got the Rona, which kind of stinks because we've managed to avoid this whole fiasco. My 11-year-old's the only one in the house that's ever actually tested positive for it. And I actually was pretty proud of the fact that I made it through two school years through the pandemic without missing a day, which was tricky because the stuff was everywhere. But it was I was glad I didn't have to miss work for it. At least it was some consistency there with the kids. I don't like missing work anyway. But obviously with the corona thing, you couldn't play around with it. If you got it, you were out. First, it was like 15 days and 10 days. Anyway... A little bit of irony, the fact that I am starting my my summer vacation ill now because now I have the Rona and not feeling it feels like a cold, quite frankly, right now. And the only issue is I keep having to sneeze and blow my nose. And as you can probably hear, I'm a little bit stuffy and I'm worried my voice is going to go out. I was doing a voiceover yesterday and I had to stop it partway through because my voice wasn't holding up. But I guess the good news is. Billy is completely on the mend. I'm feeling a little bit better. Basically, this is the third day of it. Yesterday, I just felt really stuffy. I was just tired of blowing my nose and sneezing, and that was about it. And today, I'm feeling a little bit better, but obviously stuffy, as you can probably hear. So we're on the mend. We'll be fine, but I was trying to decide whether or not to do the podcast, but I took off Father's Day, which I shouldn't have in retrospect because I hate missing podcast days, and I didn't want to miss another. So here we are. So what we're going to be doing today is I basically have some listener questions and questions from that people have posted on YouTube or emailed. And there's some shorter scenarios that I can go through. So if at any point during the podcast, I'm like, all right, no mas, I can't do this anymore. I can stop and have a complete podcast. I figure that's a good way to do it. So if I can get all the way through the list, awesome, I'll get all the way through the list. If my voice starts cutting out or I start sneezing or there's snot dripping into my lap as I'm trying to do this, then we'll probably cut it short. So hopefully it'll be a good one. These are questions. And one of the things I like to do is collect some of these questions from folks, and I kind of have a notebook that I write the questions down in. And again, as I've mentioned before, sometimes I just need to think about them some more. Sometimes they're just kind of shorter answers, and I know I can't make a whole podcast of them, so I will hold them back so that at some point I can do one of these. And I haven't done one of these in a while. I like them because it breaks up. One topic's fun, but sometimes I get sick of listening to myself talk about one topic for 45, 50 minutes, an hour. So I like the little ones. You can break them up a little bit, do 10, 15 minutes on a question, move on to the next one, and so on and so forth. So before we kick into this one, I just want to let folks know, back in 2018, I did a podcast on hobby staple tarantulas, and the whole point of it was to kind of do a dry run for a video. I had the video idea, and I love testing things out on podcasts first because it allows me, I can talk a lot more, and I can reason through a lot of things and I just like the format for kind of feeling out these more difficult type ideas I have especially if you're doing a list sometimes I do the podcast and I take a couple months off and I re-listen to it and I go oh, I would do this differently this differently well obviously I took about I think I did that one I want to say August of 2018 I thought it was a lot more recent than that but I revisited it a couple weeks ago, and I was like, all right, I'm ready to do this now as a video. So we did the video version. I think there are technically 32 species on the list. I did the same kind of thing I did with the original podcast where I came up with uh, the actual spider that's on the list and then an alternate. So one that's similar that still falls in line of hobby staple. Now, the trickiest part of this was trying to define hobby staple. For me, I think for me, I had an idea of some spiders that actually that absolutely fit this label. Unfortunately, I was having a hard time articulating my parameters for this. 
The way I saw it, it was spiders that have been in the hobby forever. You know, we're talking at least 10 years. Now, I will admit I cheated on a couple on this list. And after I posted it, somebody put up a species. I was like, I should have used this one. I don't want to ruin it for folks who want to go over and watch the video. Not that it's really going to be spoilers or anything, but there was one species that I definitely should have had on the list. It would have fit very well with another one. I, I don't know why I didn't think of it. But most of them have been available for upwards at least 10 years. These were ones that when I got in the hobby they were popular and still out there and very readily available. So that was the big thing. They had to be in the hobby for a while. They had to be readily available, not overly expensive. I had a lot of people come on, oh, it should be this one, it should be this one. And they were talking newer species that cost like $250 for a sling. No, I wanted ones that were, they had to be under 100 bucks, ideally 75 and even better, 30 40 But unfortunately, the tarantula prices lately have gone up since I first got in the hobby. Even some of the species that were on this list that were super cheap back in the day have either the price hasn't budged or it's gone up. So I was looking at the ones that everybody should own at some point that have been around for a while. So it was kind of a, a shout out to some of those unsung species that some people don't think about when they get in the hobby. Because I've, honestly, today, we are so spoiled with the amount of species that make their way into the tarantula hobby and how quickly species make their way into the tarantula hobby, which is a topic for another time, but not necessarily a good thing. Something's discovered a year later, we have it. Not a good look. And I think we get very, very spoiled with that. And we constantly see these new species like I need to have the biggest and the best, the newest. And we kind of don't check out some of these older ones that have been around forever that were kind of a staple of collections back in the day. So some of them, I'm lucky enough to, I won't say I was in the hobby in the 90s. I got my first tarantulas in the 90s. I don't, I wasn't, at that point I was focusing on snakes more than anything, but I definitely did my research, at least what little research I could do back then. I wasn't able to use a computer the first time I got my tarantula. Billy used to have to help me use the computer and look things up online. Online, looking back at this now, it's amazing. But I'd be like, honey, can you look this up for me? And she'd go up and she'd put in rose hair tarantula. And I'd be like, oh, it's magic. And all this stuff would come up. It was amazing. Look where I am now. Anyway, looking back, that was a long time ago, but it's kind of neat to see how far I've come. And Billy would come and do the research for me. And back, back at that point, there wasn't a lot online. There weren't a lot of people disseminating information online like there is today. I think that's the the hugest change I've seen over the years. But you'd find like you go to the local pet store and they'd be little printout pamphlets that told you to spray your rose hair tarantula three times a day and stuff like that. Terrible information. So I don't consider myself being in the hobby then, but I was aware of the species that were out there. So I can say a lot of these species on this list were around back then and are still in the hobby and are still just as popular as they were back then. So those were the ones I was kind of concentrating on. So anyone that wants to see, you know, I went through, listened to the whole podcast, which I hate doing. I hate hearing myself speak it's kind of funny because I have my Alexa here and I sometimes will have to do research on one of my podcasts because I have to go back and see if I've covered the topic before and I'll have Alexa play it so I was sitting here doing feedings the other day listening to myself it was making me sick but I changed a lot on the list so if you're familiar with that list or if you're one of the ones that's going through my whole catalog of podcasts and you just listen to this and you're like oh I don't need to hear it there are a lot of changes I think changes for the better and there are a lot of ones that are left off which kind of stinks because as soon as I that's one of the reasons I hate doing lists as soon as those lists are up and they're permanent and they're out there I have changes I have things I want to change I have species that I miss so I'm proud of the video. I like the way I'm glad I'm finally in summer where I can spend the extra time to do these fun videos. I mean, throughout the year, I'll be completely honest. 
when I'm teaching, it's tough to find the time. I, I have a family. I have things I like to do besides work, doing tarantulas and working with tarantulas, doing videos and podcasts and stuff. And it's hard to find the time to sit down and do a video if you're trying to keep up a weekly schedule that you know is going to take you, you know, 30, 40 hours to edit out. So I'm glad I'm in the summer where I can kind of break out some of those fun ones because I do try to keep everything educational. I love doing my bread and butter are the rehousings and the husbandry information. But I do know that if you want to attract some new people in there, you got to put something in there fun that's going to attract somebody that isn't necessarily into those species that you're showing off. And these are the type of videos that do that. So I was glad to get one of those done and under my belt for the summer. And I have many ideas for many, many more of them. So hopefully it'll be a good productive summer. Hopefully we'll get rid of this Rona caca and move on and be able to do the finish my voiceover for the next video I want to do. Because uh, as it is during this podcast, I've already had to pause it and blow my nose four times. So not that anybody needs to hear that, but that's where we're at today. So moving on to listener questions. The first one comes from Bianca V. And Bianca, I apologize. I was going to try to pronounce your last name. I even looked it up. Uh, I'm afraid I'm going to butcher it. So we're going to go Bianca V. And she did say I could share it. And basically to distill it down to the question we're going to talk about today, because the other one I've kind of covered talking about Pisolotheria. But I do want to hit this one, Bianca, just so you know, talk about some of the observations between the different Pisolotheria species. I will cover that at some point. But for this one, I want to stick with the main question you asked. I'd like to hear your views on how often you can check on spiders without disturbing them. I like to check on all of mine every evening. I have 30 tarantulas. Am I disturbing them? Does noise disturb them? How much is too much? For the bigger specimens, I just use a flashlight to check on them. I have most of my slings in small milky tubs, so I open them up and shine a flashlight inside. So the question, and this one, I'm going to piggyback this one, and I apologize to whoever it is who asked this question. I tried to find, I can't remember if it's an email or I think it was an email or something posted on, on one of my YouTube videos, but somebody asked about the fact that they were shying a flashlight on, I believe it was their T-Albo, and the T-Albo's eyes look different than the other spiders that they kept, and they were worrying because they used a very bright flashlight whether or not they blinded the, the tarantula with the flashlight, kind of like those old school movies where somebody was blind and they had the milky white eyes. They were wondering if they had actually blinded the spider by using a flashlight, and if you could blind a spider using a flashlight, if it was bad to shine the lights on. So I'm going to start this one out with a huge, I hope not, because I have, if anybody's watched my videos, you see there's usually a flashlight somewhere on my table. I check on my tarantulas constantly with a flashlight. I have a bright light. I have, again, like Bianca, I have a lot of milky tubs. It's kind of hard to see through. But some of the other ones are the clear plastic ones. I go around all the time with flashlights. I have never had an issue. Now, the problem is a lot of folks read that spiders or tarantulas hate bright lights. They avoid them like the plague. And that is true for many species. Many species, if you hit them with bright lights, they will immediately run and hide either in their burrows or into their cork bark, whatever it may be. For example, I have a piece of Lotharia rufalata, big girl that I just went to check on, and she was sitting right out in the open, and I shined the flashlight in there, and she immediately went around behind the back of her cork bark to get away from the light. So they do not, and this is why some people keep them, and I hear people a lot will say, yeah, I keep them in a closet because I know they don't like bright light, and I have covered this before, so I'm not going to beat this point to death, but let's just say I and a lot of keepers give my tarantulas a day-night cycle. 
Right now, it's bright in the room. The lights are on upstairs. I have the two skylights where there's some light trickling through around where I block them off to give a little natural light in here. They go through several hours of light, and then at night, I turn the lights off, and they go through several hours of dark. Now, a lot of them are nocturnal and will only come out at night, so that's when those come out, and they hunt, and they get a drink, and whatever it may be. However, I have not found that shining lights on them causes any harm whatsoever. Now, does that mean they like having the light on them? Some don't seem to care. Some immediately run away from it. I would say, do you like light getting shined in your eyes? Probably not. So should you sit there with the flashlight just beaming on it? No. But checking on them periodically, keeping the light on them for a couple seconds, not a big deal. Last night, I had one of my what was it, my Formictopus species out, one of the new ones I got that I'm waiting to see if they're a different color than any of the other ones, one of the, the many new variants we have out there. And it looked like it had some light blue on its legs. And I was tripping out, so I sat there with a flashlight for probably a minute or so trying to get the right angle to get a nice picture of that blue on its legs. The spider just sat there. At one point, I dropped some prey items in. It was eating the prey items, and I got some more pictures, got the flashlight on it. That's one thing I will say. With some animals, you'll see if they get upset, if something's really bothering them, they will run, they'll hide, they won't eat, they'll act differently. Tarantulas, generally speaking, get over that type of stuff very, very quickly. It's kind of like the the podcast we did not that long ago where we talked about tarantulas and stress and what's, you know, how much stress is too much and how much stress can they take and how much stress should we really worry about. I think they get over stress very, very quickly as evidenced by the fact that you can take a tarantula that was shipped through the mail, you can put it under bright lights, record a video, it just came from hot temperatures, it's in a normalized room, bright lights on it, drop a prey item in, boom, it eats a prey item, it's sitting there eating and it doesn't care anymore. So I do think that's something that I've observed in mind that they get over those stressors really quick. As long as you're not beaming them with bright lights constantly, like holding that light right on their eyes or whatever, they're in good shape. So I don't think there's anything wrong with checking on them with a flashlight. For the individual that talked about the Bialbopolosum, I don't see that happening. I really don't. However, I could be wrong. I guess if you had a very powerful flashlight and you held it right on the spider for a while, you could do some damage, whether or not that would repair itself when it molted, I don't know. But I would say under most normal circumstances, I've used very bright lights for many years, very bright flashlights for many years, never had an issue with it. So no, as long as you're not, you know, torturing them by holding the light right on their eyes for long periods of time, I don't see any issue whatsoever checking them with flashlights. As far as opening containers, again, it comes down to how much, how quickly they get overstressed. Sure. If you pick up a sling enclosure and you open it up, they're being jostled. They're experiencing a probably profound change in airflow, possibly temperature when you open up that little enclosure. So they know they're exposed. They're obviously going to be a bit stressed out. But if you open that thing up, shine a little flashlight in there, put the cap back on, put it back on the thing, they're going to be fine within a minute. I guarantee it. I have not seen much evidence that spiders hold on to that stress very long at all. So I check on them all the time. And I'll tell you, my ritual is like before I was sat down to do the podcast. I walked around with my flashlight. I checked on a bunch of spiders. Like, what's this one doing? Oh, this one molted. Let me get that molt out of there. Oh, this one looks like it's hungry. I'm going to drop a prey at him in. And it involved me walking around with the flashlight, opening up containers. It's part of maintenance. It's just part of keeping these guys. So I would not, and this isn't the first time I've received questions about the flashlights. I've had people say that they will only use red lights because they don't want to disturb them because they know the bright lights can bother them. I've had people say they never use flashlights because that could bother them. Obviously, I had one guy that was like, obviously, they don't like light and this can hurt them. So no, no, no. It's, uh, they don't prefer, most species are nocturnal. They don't prefer to be caught out in the open. I shouldn't even say most. A lot of species are nocturnal 
nocturnal don't like to be caught out in the open, but there are other ones that will sit right out there, bright lights, no problem, and seem perfectly comfortable. They'll eat, they'll drink, they'll do everything they need to do. It's just, and there's no need to keep them lit with individual lighting. I think that's, that's where people get hung up. They're used to keeping other reptiles that need certain types of lights, UV lighting, different basking lamps, things of that nature, and their thought process is, oh, spiders need those, and that's when people want them to know. They don't need the lights. You can keep them in complete darkness. It's not an issue. I wouldn't do it only because I do think they're going to experience, if it's a burrower and they're in the wild, yes, their burrow is going to be dark, but they're going to experience day-night cycles that tell them, hey, it's okay to come out now because the lights are off, or hey, it's time to go into my burrow because the lights are on, the sun is out. So I don't see any issues with that, and I would continue to check on them with your flashlight and open them up when you need to. I think that's just good keeping. It's If you put them in a room... Leave them there and never check on them. I just don't get the point of keeping tarantulas. I think that's a big part of the hobby for a lot of us is walking around our rooms with our flashlights and checking these guys out and seeing what types of wonders they're going to produce when we open up those enclosures or what we're going to see when we shine those flashlights in. So Bianca, I wouldn't worry about it. I think you're perfectly fine. As far as the noise thing, I did cover this in an earlier podcast. I don't find that mine react all that much. I listen to music up here all the time when I'm feeding. Nobody seems to care. The only ones that sometimes will register when there's movement or maybe when the base is going on something is sometimes my true spiders, my huntsman species. You'll see them kind of hunker down when you put something on the base hits and all of a sudden they kind of, ooh, but not really, not often. I think overall they get very used to general traffic. My original tarantula room back when we were at my old house was a room that got a lot of through traffic. It led to our laundry room. It led to our garage and essentially our back door. So there were always people going in and out, doors opening, closing, slamming. The opposite side of, I had a whole row of shelves against a wall. The opposite side of that for quite some time was our TV and sound system. And obviously some of the vibrations from the speakers and the sound would come through, but nobody seemed to care. So I would, would I have a subwoofer booming in there? Absolutely not. Would I take my little Bluetooth speaker and put it on a shelf so the whole shelf's vibrating? Absolutely not. But if it's just generally the music's playing loudly, it's not overly bassy, I've never seen any real indication that bothers them all at all. And I've had people go, well, in the wild, they don't experience that. But I do think tarantulas in general are very adaptable. And I think that obviously there are places in the world where some of the tarantulas have completely lost their habit, natural habitats and they've moved into more urban areas. And guess what? I'm sure they've gotten used to hearing foot traffic, people moving, cars moving, all those types of sounds that come from living in an urban environment. I'm sure they've adapted to them. I would say the same thing with the ones here. I think any tarantula, once they get used to the fact that there's going to be vibrations and stuff, they're totally fine with it. So wouldn't worry so much about the noise at all. I'm up here all the time with music. I'm up here with my own voice going when I'm listening to podcasts, when I'm feeding to try to figure out what I'm doing for my next episode, things of that nature. As long as you're not over the top with it. I mean, would I sit there and have my band practice in the same room as all my spiders? Probably not. That might be a a bit too much. But overall, the normal noises that go around with just living in a home, music, TVs, whatnot, as long as it's not right next to the spiders, you should be perfectly fine. All right, so the voice is starting to strain a little bit, but I'm still feeling pretty good. So we're going to go on and try to take another question here. This one comes from Cameron Till. Are there any species of spider that you absolutely won't keep because of the risk? Now, I'm not sure if they were talking the whole email. There's a lot more to the email, but the majority of the email was about tarantulas. Actually, I'm assuming Cameron was talking about tarantulas, but I will open up 
to spiders in general. So first off, as far as tarantulas are concerned, no, there isn't a single species I wouldn't keep because of the quote-unquote risk. I think, and if I'm being completely honest, when I first got into the hobby and started doing research on them, I kind of created my little no-no list of ones that I didn't want anything to do with. When I when I would look up spider species and see what people had for sale, these are the ones I'd be like, nope, not doing that. And I can tell you the ones on that list originally were the P. murinus, the OBT, the H. maculata, any piece Letheria species, as a matter of fact, piece Letheria for the longest time was the one spider that when I saw a picture of it online triggered my arachnophobia. I don't know what it was about them, but they just looked very intimidating. And then Omothymus velocipes, which I believe back in the day was Lampropelma velocipes. But those were the ones that were on my list of ones that I was going to avoid, like the plague. I didn't want the risk. I had read things about OBT charging at people and biting them multiple times. HMAX charge people. Defensive, nasty. They'll spring out, jump on your face and bite you piece letheria oh what could you say about piece letheria that you know hasn't been said already they're demons they're quick they're defensive they're aggressive their bite can put you in the hospital it's just torture i obviously saw the pictures of rob c out there that got bit by what was it his rufalata i think or it might have been his ornata and there's this big man just literally beside himself in excruciating pain and then the Oviolosophies, I had heard they were 10 inches long. They are fast as lightning. They will bite you without the slightest provocation. And that was the species I remember reading. Yeah, they don't just bite you once. They bite you twice. They really try to send home that point that you don't want to mess with me. So I had read all these weird things about them. And I kind of put it to the side and said, you know what? I don't need this right now. I'm going to put these guys aside. Stay away from them for a while. But then what happened is I started keeping them. And I started finding out that, that, you know, I was watching their movements. I was studying, figuring out how to do my rehousings. And I'll admit, I got an HMAC pretty early on. I picked up a sling because I'm like, you know what? If I grow with the sling, by the time it gets to the point where it's supposed to this five-inch demon, I should have the skills I need to take care of it. I got a three-inch piece of Letheria Vitata rather early on and was immediate. That was like, uh, that was like getting my first peak in Cerides. Like, Holy crud, these things are amazing. I got no velocities. I got my HMAX. Later, it's funny, the HMAX was the one that I steered away from at first and then for some reason just didn't get around to getting one for quite some time. And then I finally got one and got another one. Love them both. Two beautiful females. Billy's favorite species. I know I keep saying that, but it bears repeating. So, and then I basically got to the point where I realized every one of these spiders that I picked up with the thought process that ooh, this is going to be a tough one they were fine I, I haven't found there's nothing I wouldn't keep right now there's nothing out there in the hobby that's all the tarantula speaking that I wouldn't keep I don't I think it's sad sometimes because I do think that we do such a good job policing ourselves and making sure that people new to the hobby recognize what risk these old world fast old world potent old worlds can pose to a keeper, we do such a good job of it that we turn people off permanently. I, I can't tell you how many folks will come on to my old world videos and be like, oh man, I've kept Formictopus, Theraphosa species, I've kept Tappy species, I've kept Salmopius. Man, I'm never touching those old worlds though. They're, they're a league of their own. And like, no, they're not that bad. I found that if you treat them with respect and you're careful, that they're all fairly manageable. And sometimes, you know, I, I speak to many, many keepers who say they dread rehousing their new worlds more than they dread rehousing their old worlds because the new worlds are used more used to standing and fighting in some cases. So they're quicker to kick the hairs or throw up the threat postures where the old worlds are constantly trying to hide and get away. So, nope, not a single species of tarantula I can't think
think that I would ever not keep because, quote unquote, they're dangerous or intimidating. Not at all. As far as true spiders are concerned, the Phenutria species, the Brazilian wandering spiders, at this moment in time, I don't see myself keeping them. I am working with a lot of wandering spiders now, not the potentially lethal ones and a lot of huntsmen. And it has definitely been a humbling experience to see how quickly they can move. I don't want to say unmanageably fast, but I will say that if they get moving, you're not going to be able to react in time. Now, the thought of having something like that, obviously, I have my wife, Billy, that records my videos for me. The thought of having her anywhere near something like that, if uh, a nutria species, if something were to go wrong, it were to bolt, whatever, I, we don't need that risk right now. So I get, and I know there'll be people that are like, I keep them, they're not that bad. And they're like, you're just like the tarantulas you're talking about. I get it. Believe me, I get it. And maybe that will change. I said I would never keep wandering spiders. And I do have some wandering spiders, but anything that's potentially that, you know, that packs that kind of venom. And having seen how quickly they move, I don't know if I'm up for that type of challenge right now. I mean, I think I can deal with the speed, but I've had already had situations with the huntsmen that have shown that I really need to be on my guard when I work with these guys because they are so quick. And that's with huntsmen that, you know, worst case scenario, I'm not going to feel, you know, the bite's going to hurt. I might get a little nauseous with some of the, you know, more important ones, but that's about it. With something like this, I don't know if I'm up for the chance right now. And that, again, that could change. As I get more experience with huntsmen, it's only been about a year. And with the true spiders and with the wandering spiders, perhaps I feel a little more confident and comfortable. Perhaps I come up with more ways to work with them where I feel like that I can keep them contained. But at this moment in time, I will say, I will not be keeping any Phenutria species. I've actually been offered them a couple times. I've turned them down. I'm good for now, but we'll see what time will tell. I mean, again, as I said, years ago, I was looking at that list of, you know, the OBT, the HMAC, the piece of Etheria, the Elosopes, and said, nope, not for me. And here I am. I have them and I have no issue with them. So that would be about it. So I know I, I got a funny feeling this was about tarantulas. The tarantula question is a big no right now with the true spiders. If you're talking about all spiders in general, Probably the only one I would hold off on is Phenutria species, at least for the time being. All right, two questions down. I think I have a third in me, although I will say my head's starting to pound a little bit. I feel like I have to force my voice here because everything's so stuffy. But I will do one more, which will get us hopefully to the 30-minute mark. In the good old days, I think the podcast, I was shooting for 20 minutes to 30 minutes on the podcast. And as the years have gone by, I've tried to make them longer and longer and longer because I've had a lot of people tell me they have 45-minute, the 50-minute drive. So I always try to shoot and hit that 45, 50-minute mark just so folks have some, don't have to stop and change in the middle of drive their drive or whatever. But back in the day, they were much shorter. But let's see where this one ends up. This next question came from Vanessa, no last name. And basically, there was a lot of different things in this email, but the crux of it the biggest question was she has a gbb and it's webbed up and she's wondering how often should she clean out the webbing and i've been asked this one quite a bit over the years for people that keep the heavy webbing species how often should i clean out all that webbing and my short answer is don't don't clean out the webbing that is their home i i think what happens is people see stuff every once in a while you get like a cricket leg in it or what'll happen is they'll web over an old molt or they'll see some boluses stuck in it and they freak out and they're like oh i got to get rid of this webbing or sometimes the webbing gets a little yellowish look to it because what'll happen is they'll eat something some of the juices will drip on the webbing it'll kind of stain the webbing and they think 
think, oh gosh, this is dirty. What we need to always keep in mind that with the heavily webbing species, that web is their home. That is, they've constructed that, that gives them security, That's they use it to hunt. If you've ever seen a spider, when you drop a prey item into a heavily webbed enclosure, you can see how quickly they detect it, run out to grab it. My Linotheli species, obviously not tarantulas, but ones that web the snot out of their enclosures, I love dropping in something because they come bolting out of there. It's amazing. Explode forth from the web, grab that thing, retreat right back in the web. You don't want to destroy or damage that web if possible. So it's not necessary. I know people see it and I think they think it's something like, I don't know, it's almost like with plants where you got to prune plants. They think they got to prune the webbing. No, you don't. If it starts overfilling the entire container to the point where you can't pull the top off, then it's probably time to get them in a larger enclosure. I will say that. And unfortunately, that's going to involve doing away with all that webbing they did, but it means that they have now over, they've outgrown that enclosure. They need something larger. So as far as webbing is concerned, no, I don't see any reason to rip webbing out of an enclosure. I actually had one person talk about doing this and it kind of annoyed me because their issue was they can never see their spider. So they wanted to rip the, the webbing out. And I'm like, that is the silliest thing I've ever heard. And I tried to explain to them, no, 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 that's, absolutely the worst thing you could possibly do. That spider, and I believe, I want to say it was Achillobrachis fimbriatus. And I'm like, that is the last thing you want to do with that species because that webbing gives it security. If you want to catch it out more, come in at night or in the early morning hours with a flashlight, you'll see it sitting out there. But that's what that spider does. That means it's safe and secure. It's hiding in that web world that's constructed for itself. And that's what's keeping it from being defensive or as people like to say, aggressive. But no, you should not cut out the webbing. Now, what happens if you get something in it? I have had situations where a prey item is, you know, an undetected prey item has died or it's gotten wrapped up. I went to feed something and it wasn't hungry and the prey item was already dead and they webbed up the prey item and left it in the webbing. Um, I've had situations where there's too much stuff that comes out of the parietum and it's kind of on the webbing and nasty and you want to get that out of there. Maybe there's boluses. Best thing you can do is get a pair. I usually use a pair of really sharp scissors. First thing you want to do is block off the burrow entrance or entrances. If there's more than one, don't just block off one because remember, as soon as you hit that webbing, there's a good chance it's going to think there's food out there and it's going to bolt out at you. You don't want to get bit. So make sure you block off the entrance and use a pair of scissors and carefully clip out the area you want to remove. And if you work slowly and carefully, you can usually get the area out without destroying all of the surrounding webbing. I've used this with like cricket parts getting stuck in it, dead prey with nastiness. I think I fed one of my... GBB is a big roach once, a big dubia, and she only finished half of it, left it there, and it was just, it was nasty, it was smelling, so I had to cut that out. Boluses, usually they drop the boluses, you put a water dish in, they usually drop them around the water dish, so it's usually easy to find them, but I've had situations where they've webbed over the corner where the boluses are, so it's very easy to go in there, clip a little section out, pull those things out of there, but no, there's no need to pull out the webbing, and let me piggyback on that by a lot of folks ask, because they're used to keeping animals like, I don't know, throw out their hamsters, gerbils, mice, things of that nature, even if you're keeping barn animals and you keep hay on the ground, you have to eventually clean out the bedding. And I think a lot of people come to the hobby and expect that same type of le that same level of maintenance where they're going to have to clean out these enclosures constantly. And that's not the case. Tarantulas, all in all, are very clean animals. The drier species, they will, if you put a water dish in there, again, a lot of them will drop the boluses right by the water dish. I think in nature, they find that puddles are a good way to dispose of garbage, so they'll drop it there. I've found the vast majority of mine will pick a corner and they will drop their stuff there. Some even go and poop in the same corner all the time. It's the coolest thing for what you would consider to be, you know, primitive 
arachnids, they seem to be very clever with how they get rid of their waste. So a lot of times it's just a matter of going in there with a pair of tongs. If it's a little round bolus and just puck those little boluses out. If there's some poop or something on the ground, you just take a little spoon and you scoop it right out of there and you're good to go. With dry species, there is no need to change the substrate much at all. This isn't a yearly thing. This isn't a you know once a year every two year thing unless something happens that kind of damages that substrate or disturbs that substrate to the point where you think it's really nasty and needs to go there should be no reason to do a full change of substrate now the one thing i've talked about over the last couple of years that i've given a lot more thought to and what might be a little bit different is our moisture dependent burrowing species that is something that you may want to consider cleaning them out every once in a while because if you think about it, in nature the tarantula creates a burrow and it's got all this earth all around it you know there's acres upon acres of earth there's earth that goes all the way down to the center of the earth there's when it rains the rain goes through it percolates down through the soil it pulls out any nastiness bacteria prey remains that all goes down hopefully into the soil and out of there however in captivity we don't have the spider doesn't have that luxury they are in a plastic container a glass container that holds only so much dirt and that bacteria has nowhere to go so even when we're dumping water in and filling it up that water percolates through it collects all that bacteria and that bacteria has to gather someplace and i have spoken to people over the years and seen things in my own collection that lead me to believe that there are cases where that bacteria can actually get to the spider and cause harm we've seen situations where the fossorial species suddenly come out, they're looking listless, they're hanging around the water dish, they're not looking good, and then they die. And a lot of folks believe that might be because of the fact that some of that bacteria, the concentration of bacteria in those dens gets to be too much. Because again, it's not filtering anywhere. We're just adding water and keeping it nice and moist, creating a Petri dish for that bacteria. And eventually it infects the spider, overcomes the spider's immune system, whatever it may be, and causes health issues for the spider. So I do think with the moisture-dependent fossorial species changing it out every so often two years three years would probably be prudent i know i have a list of ones i have to change out i have my h gigas that i want to get into something different and plus they've been in those things for quite some time i have my kilobrachis guangziensis who's been in the same tub of dirt for quite some time i want to get those out of there and get them into something with cleaner fresher substrate now if you're doing an actual bioactive enclosure and i don't mean a naturalistic one where you drop a plant in and some springtails i mean a true bioactive where the you're monitoring the moisture levels you're monitoring the soil quality there's a lot more to bioactives than a lot of us pretend in the tarantula hobby and that's a topic unto itself that's what i'm working on now it's not just about dropping a plant in dropping some cleaning crew insects in and, and pouring water in every once in a while a true bioactive that probably helps with the chemistry of the soil, the root system of the plant, all the stuff that goes into it. I'm not getting into it in this one, but that might help. But for the regular, hey, I have a pot of dirt. I dropped the spider in. It's been in it for three years. Just keep an eye on it. I mean, if you let it dry out periodically, that probably helps. And I do try to do that with some of mine. I let them dry out a bit during the summer where it's a little more humid. And then start adding the water again when the winter time comes. That probably helps. But if it's kept moist all the time, you got to figure that's that can't stay clean. So that's the only point I would make as far as when to do a, a full-scale cleaning and completely clean out an enclosure would be those instances where you have those moisture-dependent species, those moisture-dependent fossorial species. But in most cases, no. You just spot clean, you're in good shape. I've done things where I've gone through where I have enclosures that have like moss and leaf litter and things of that nature where I will go out, block off the tarantula's dead and clean out all the moss and leaf litter, throw it away, 
take the top level of substrate, scoop it off, put some more substrate on top of it to cover it up, put some more moss and leaf litter in and do it that way. So that way you're kind of spot cleaning the whole surface of it, gets rid of some of the stuff that may, you know, I might not have caught, maybe boluses that I missed, whatever, but that's about it. So they are clean animals. It's one of the best parts about tarantulas. If they needed to be cleaned as often as say, I don't know, name another furry animal that you keep in a, an enclosure, then yeah, it would probably be impossible for most of us to have collections as large as we do because that would be constant housing, rehousing. I will say one trick that I use is if I do have something that I feel like I need to, I need to clean the substrate out, I turn it into a rehousing. I'm, I go, I'm not just going to go and clean the substrate out of this. I'm going to get this thing in a brand new enclosure. Like the H gigas, I'm looking for something to put one of mine in that's a little more, I love that species and I don't get to see it as much as I would like to. So I'm looking for something that's a little more attractive for it. So I would take that as an opportunity to upgrade the enclosure. So then it's not, I'm just throwing out a tub of dirt, cleaning out this enclosure, putting it back in. I'm giving it a whole new setup. So something to think about there, but Vanessa, don't cut out all the webbing. Anybody out there, please do leave your tarantulas webbing alone. Spot clean when you need to with scissors, make sure you block off the burrows. And if it gets to the point that the webbing is so much that you're, every time you take the top off, you're ripping out huge quantities of webbing. Unfortunately, it's time to get them into a larger enclosure to accommodate that webbing. Again, I think a lot of the reason why the old world tarantulas have such a reputation for being super defensive, aggressive, ornery is because of the fact that a lot of the ones mentioned are heavy webbers. And if you're ripping that webbing out, you're going to disturb the spider. Again, we've talked about for years, it's like ripping the top off your house. You're going to have an irritated alarmed defensive spider that's trying to protect itself because it doesn't know what's going on. So that would be the only situation where I'd go, all right, yep, time to rehouse is when the webbing is so much that you're ripping off the top every time you open it up. So that I think will do it for this one. I made it through. All right, so we're at 36 minutes. I'm feeling pretty good. I told Billy I'm going to go up and I'm going to try to do as many as, as my voice goes, I'm going to try to do as many as possible of these questions. I've got one left. We'll hold on to it for another day, but it's starting to pound a little bit. I feel like I'm forcing my voice and I do not want to lose my voice because I have a lot to do this week as far as videos and such. So hopefully we got something out of that. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Again, I'd just like to, to give a shout out to, I get a lot of emails and messages from folks who talk about how much they love the podcast and I truly appreciate it. I'm not going to lie. There are days that I get up and I'm like, what am I doing this for? Do I really need to keep doing the Thomas Big Spider stuff? And it's little things like that that really just kind of go, yeah, I, that's why I do it. I, I enjoy hearing that, just people letting me know how much it means to their work week and their, that they look forward to it. That blows my mind because I have everybody, I think, has a TV show or a program or a YouTube individual, YouTube individual. I just created a new new name, a YouTube content creator or whatever they call it, that they look forward to their stuff. And to know that I fulfill that role for some people means a, a, a lot to me. Like that's the thing that get, it gets me through on mornings like this where I woke up and said, I really don't feel like sitting up here and talking to myself for 40 minutes the way I feel, but here we are. And I feel so much better having done it. And the good thing is like, I'll walk away from this feeling really good that I did something good today and accomplished something today, even though I don't feel all that great. So thank you for that. Also, the other thing is I just stumbled on reviews for the podcast. Holy geez. Thank you so much to folks who have been reviewing it. I can't tell you how it made me feel icky if like I, I think I've explained before, I'm one of those people that doesn't, I thrive more with people telling me I can't do something with negative stuff. Like, oh, I'll show you. When people say nice things, it kind of weirds me out. And I don't know how to respond, but I will tell you, I, I have to admit, I went through a bunch of them and I normally don't do this because I try to ignore all that stuff. I don't, 
go out there looking for information. Go, Billy will sometimes hop on arachnoboards and go, oh, they're talking about Tom's Big Spiders and saying nice things. Like, Billy, get off of it. I don't listen to any of that stuff. I do me. I do what I want to do, and I ignore that. But I'm not going to lie. I went through it, and it, it kind of got to me. I was like, I really was shocked the amount of people that have taken the time to go on and put reviews up and the nice things that they've said. So if you're one of those folks that have done that, I don't think I've ever alluded to this, but my sincere thank you for it. I it really, it was kind of, I was having a crummy day and I don't know how I stumbled on it, but all of a sudden it was just all of these reviews and it was just like, wow, it really put it in perspective. So again, the little podcast that could, I planned on my this whole thing. I think I've mentioned this before my brother and I were planning on doing a horror movie review podcast, we've always wanted to do one and it just didn't come into play. But as we were talking about it, I purchased a microphone, downloaded the software, subscribed to a podcast hoster. And basically the tarantula stuff was just me practicing to see how it would go. Like, all right, let me try a tarantula thing, see if it works, see if anybody's interested. And here we are. So uh, just a big thank you to everyone that's ever listened to this and anybody that's taken the time to say how, to say how much they enjoy it to review it, whatever, I truly appreciate it. I don't say it enough because, again, I don't like getting into that kind of stuff. But I think today, of all days, it makes sense because that was what got me doing this this morning when I sat down and I was like, do I really want to do this? I'm like, yes, I do want to do it. It was That that kind of buoyed me in that situation. So thanks, everyone, for listening. As always, you can find me at tomsbigspiders.com. You can find me on Tom's Big Spiders on YouTube, which the newest video up. Please check it out if you're interested in that kind of thing. Leave feedback. We may do another version because I'm getting some in that I feel like should have probably been on the list. And I want to correct that. So if you leave comments about which species you think should be on the list, remember, we're looking for ones that are common, that have been in the hobby for a while, and that are fairly available. And I will admit there are a couple on the list when you see it that I didn't follow my own rule set. But I think some people are like throwing out ones there like uh, Birupi, Simaroxagorum. Yeah, well, A, it's it's quite pricey. B, it hasn't been there that long. Beautiful Spider. Yeah, I think definitely at some point everybody should own it. But we're looking at those older ones. So let me know what I missed. There's a couple on there. I don't want to lead anybody, but there are a couple that came up that I'm like, yep, they should have been on the list. Let me know if you think I should add anything to it. Guys, stay safe. I'm going to go guzzle me some Dayquil and walk the dogs. Have a good one. We'll catch you all next time.